You are invited. I remember many years ago when I was young, I'd gone to a friend's house and he said he was going to go to a birthday party of a friend of his. He says, why don't you come with me? And I said, well, I haven't been invited. He said, oh, that's no problem. You can come too. And I went with him to this friend's of his and I walked up to the front of the house with him. The one whose birthday party said, what are you doing here? You weren't invited. <laughs> and I left. But you are invited. And Scripture makes that very clear in Matthew chapter 22. As we look at our gospel lesson for this morning, Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my livestock, are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. And he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you now would take these words that you have given by your Spirit for our instruction. Lord, that you would use them to teach us, that you would use them to show us our, our need for you and call us, Lord, to that great wedding feast, that banquet, the feast of, of, of salvation that you have provided. You've said everything is ready. Thank you for that finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins and for the wonderful invitation to come. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Adrian Rogers tells of a time when he received a letter in the mail that came from, of all places, the White House. And so he opened up the letter and he discovered that he and his wife were invited to the White House. There was a state dinner taking place. The president was welcoming the president of another country. And he was invited. He said, I had to read the letter over two or three times because he thought, it can't be me. Is this the, is this the right Adrian Rogers? 
And so he gathered, he said, we got our best clothes we could and we flew out to Washington, D.C. And he said it was a it was a, a dinner that he said, I will never forget. Now, I would imagine that probably not one of us has anybody ever been invited to a state dinner at the White House. I don't suppose any of us have, <laughs> have had that experience. But you know what? We have an invitation to an event that is much greater than any dinner, any banquet you could ever imagine that takes place on this earth. We have an invitation to come to the, the, the celebration of salvation. That uh, joy of, of coming into the presence of God through Jesus, enjoying what it means to be forgiven and cleansed and, and be a part of, of His kingdom. And that's what we see in this parable that Jesus told, because he said in verse two, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. There are three important lessons we learn about God's great invitation here. Notice, first of all, that God's great invitation is persistently offered, persistently offered. In the ancient Near East, wedding feasts were a very large, festive celebration. And from what I understand, they often lasted for seven days. Can you imagine that, going to a, a wedding feast lasting seven days? A guests were invited to stay at the home of the groom's parents for the entire week. And the father was expected to make the celebration as elaborate as he could. So I started thinking about that. I got four sons. Or three sons, excuse me. <laughs> right? Four daughters. And in our culture, when a daughter gets married, it's usually the father of the bride that kind of opens his wallet the most, right? Someone told me one time, when you are the father of the bride, keep your mouth shut and your wallet open. Well, in those days, it might have been the reverse. If you're the father of the groom, keep your mouth shut and your wallet open. You imagine that hosting for seven days? <laughs> People coming to, to celebrate this, this feast. And this wedding feast was... Not just a feast of an ordinary pauper. This was the feast of a king. And you can imagine how extravagant that would be. One author says a wedding feast that a king prepared for his son would be a feast of all feasts. And Jesus was therefore picturing the most elaborate celebration imaginable. So if you were invited to this wedding feast, it would have been a very significant honor. And you could have said to your neighbors and your friends, guess where I'm going? <laughs> I'm going to the wedding feast of the king's son. Now, the custom in those days was to send out an invitation to the wedding and then to send out another invitation when the feast was actually ready. And that's what we see here at verse 3. It says, He sent out His slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. Things were ready now, so you send out the second invitation. But if you look at how the guests responded, 
Jesus said they were, they were unwilling to come. They didn't want to be a part of this great celebration. Now, if you'd been listening to Jesus tell this parable, that would have been shocking. The king's son? You are invited to the feast of the king's son? And Jesus is telling the story, and the people in the parable, they weren't willing to come? That would have been heard of. No one would turn down the invitation of the king. It wasn't just an honor to come. It was the right thing to do. If you are summoned by the king... You come, right? The authority of a man like that. So it would have been shocking to hear that they were unwilling to come. But another shocking thing Jesus said is that the king continued to give out more invitations to the feast. After being insulted and rejected by his people, he sent out his servants a second time. Verse 4, again, He sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. What you see here is the picture of a very persistent king. His offer was rejected, and yet he presents his offer again. And when he presents this offer, notice the response again. The first group ignored the invitation, verse 5, but they paid no attention. And they went their way, one to his farm and another to his business. It was as if the wedding feast of the king's son was of no interest to them. They weren't hostile to the king. They just didn't care about the feast because they cared more about their own pursuits. Their own business. John MacArthur says they were so selfishly preoccupied with personal concerns for profit that the invitation and the repeated calls of the king to stop work and attend the son's wedding were altogether ignored. No big deal. Who really wants to go to the wedding feast of, of the king's son? I got, I've got other things to do. I ain't going to come. The second group, their response was much worse. Instead of ignoring the invitation, they killed the ones who invited them, mind you. Verse 6 says, The rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. They weren't concerned about offending the king. They were offended by the king that he would be so persistent. They wanted him to quit bothering them. So in a very brutal act of rebellion, they killed the king's messengers. It's obvious that the king had been very patient with those who had been invited to the wedding feast. But when they killed the messengers of the king, when they killed the ones who were inviting them to the wedding feast, the consequences were very severe. Verse 7, but the king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. You can understand why the king would respond with such anger. They didn't just ignore him. They didn't just reject his invitation. They murdered his messengers. They killed the very ones who were inviting them to a celebration. (laughs) Get rid of the messenger, because they didn't want to come to the feast. 
Now, if you're wondering who this applies to, who is Jesus addressing in this parable, we are given a hint in verse 1. Matthew says Jesus spoke to them again in parables. So you need to know who the them are, right? Who's he talking about? If you go back to the previous chapter, verse 46, or verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. The religious leaders of Israel. And so he's describing how they had rejected the messengers that God sent to them. And he's telling them that they would end up eventually paying a terrible price for it. If you look at verse 8, you'll see the city being destroyed and set on fire. That is a prophecy of an event that was going to take place not long after Jesus spoke this parable. We know what happened in 70 AD, don't we? Where the Romans came in, destroyed the city, set it on fire, demolished the temple having continually rejected the call of God, God had no other choice but to bring judgment upon that city. So that's one of the lessons we learn from this parable. Although God is very persistent, continues to offer us that beautiful invitation to come to Him, there will come a time. When that invitation will end, there will come a time when there will be judgment. And that's what we saw this morning in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. The King is persistent, yes. But we should not presume that the invitation will be continually going forth. There will come a day, a day of judgment and the warning. It's very clear. So God's invitation is persistently offered. God's invitation is completely furnished. Completely furnished. The invitation to this wedding celebration was not a potluck dinner. Okay, we have those, right? Potluck dinner. You probably see in the bulletin, A through L. If your last name starts with A through L, bring um, a hot dish or something. And then M through Z, bring... Dessert or, or, or a side dish, right? And I love potlucks, don't you? I mean, potlucks are, are a, a wonderful experience. To get hungry just, just thinking of it. This was not a potluck dinner. This was a banquet. Food was provided, and it was the best food you could get. Verse 4, again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready. Just come to the feast. It'd be like Wayne Flone's uh, brisket and barbecued ribs. Any of you had those? Do you get an invitation for that? Would you turn that down? You'd be a fool to turn that down. That's what we're seeing here. The king had a a wonderful feast. He'd be crazy to turn down an offer like this. And there was no waiting for the food to be cooked. Ever go to a restaurant and you just think, when is the food coming? 
What in the world are they doing? Are they, do they have to kill the chicken out there? Or are they going to butcher the calf? You know, you're, you're just starving and it just doesn't seem like it ever come. It's ready, he said. Everything is ready. It's time to eat. Come and get it. That is music to your ears, isn't it? When you're hungry and your wife or mom says, Varsagu, or is that what the Norwegians say? Varsagu, come and get it. It's all ready. It doesn't take me long to get up. It's like, well, okay, it's, it, it, it's ready. This is a picture of God's invitation to salvation, isn't it? Isaiah 55, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost, freely. And then the question, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. There's an abundance of food at God's table. An abundance of spiritual food and spiritual delight. Everything is ready. It's, it's freely given. And this is what Jesus said about our salvation when He died on the cross. Remember what He said? It is finished. It is done. It is complete. Everything is ready. His sacrifice was sufficient for our salvation. A great cost to God, but freely given to us. And Jesus said, come. Come. Have you come? Are you ignoring the invitation like those in the parable? Are you angry with the messengers who would tell you that you need to come? There are people being persecuted throughout the world today because they proclaim the message of salvation, that you need a Savior. Are you ignoring that message? Are you angry with the one who would tell you that you need Jesus today? Or have you come? It's ready. Dr. Harry Ironside told the story of a missionary that visited a, a little Irish boy in the hospital. And this boy knew about Jesus' death on the cross, but he thought that there was things that, that he needed to do to somehow merit the favor of God. And one morning, the missionary called upon him again and, and found his face just beaming with joy. And, and so she asked him, what, why are you so happy? And he said, oh, missus, I always knew that Jesus was necessary. But I never knew until yesterday that Jesus is enough. <laughs> Jesus is enough. What he did on the cross is enough. The price he paid is enough. Come. You're invited to the wedding feast. Persistently offered. Completely Furnished. And then thirdly, God's great invitation is graciously given. Graciously given. So you come to verse 9 of this parable. The invitation of the king has been repeatedly rejected. And you'd think by now the king would give up. Nobody wants to come, right? Calling and being ignored and I've got other things to do. And then killing the messengers that, that brought the invitation. Kind of wonder if the king would say, what's the use? But he didn't. 
He was determined that his son was going to have guests at the wedding feast. And so he gave out another invitation. Verse 9, Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding. Notice that, as many as you find there. This was offered to anyone who was willing to come, come to the feast. Can you imagine the response the servants got to, from some of the people when they went out and said, hey, you know, the king wants you to come to the, the, the wedding feast of his son. Me? <laughs> the king wants me to come? Are you kidding? You realize who I am? No, come. Come on. Anyone who wants to come can come. And if this invitation sounds familiar, it should, because it begins in the same way as the Great Commission. The king said, go therefore. (laughs) Ah, what did Jesus say? Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations. Anyone who wants to come can come. And guess who they invited? Verse 10 says, Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found. And then notice this phrase, both evil and good. Isn't that interesting? Both evil and good. What does that say about this invitation? It was not based on any merit or any worthiness. It wasn't just for the good. As if there are any good. We know that, right? Both the evil and the good were invited. That's how gracious this king was. And that's how gracious the invitation that God gives to us today. It doesn't matter who we are. What the hymn writers say, just as I am. I come. That's how you come. It's not trying to make yourself acceptable to the king. Trying to do a few good things that will maybe cause him to love you. We sang to begin our service today, Jesus loves even me. Even me. Whosoever will may come. That's the invitation of Scripture. A gracious invitation. If you look at the end of the parable, something, I suppose, quite shocking happens. Verse 11, But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Ever gone to a wedding and felt like, oh, I should have dressed a little bit nicer? I just don't quite feel a little bit out of place here. Well, here's this guy. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Now, there's some background to this, some historical background to this that helps us understand what's going on here. When someone was invited to the wedding feast of a king, the king would provide the garments for you to wear. So, if you were poor and you didn't have any nice wedding clothes to wear, when you got to the feast... I don't know if it's another room or wherever. You went in and you, you got some garment to wear. So when the king asked the man how he came to the wedding without wedding clothes, it has nothing to do with his inability to, to, inquire, to acquire the right clothing. Rather, it has everything to do with his rejection of the wedding clothes that the king provided. That's the key here. The king had provided the wedding clothes, but the men rejected them. Instead of going into the wedding with the proper wedding attire, he went in dressed the way he had come. And so the king says, how, 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 did you, how did you come in here dressed the way you are? Or why, why did you reject the garment that I provided for you to come to the wedding feast. One author says the man had been utterly presumptuous, thinking he could come to the king's feast on his own terms, in any clothes that he wanted. So what's the point here? We don't come to God on our own terms, do we? We don't come to Him with our own way of salvation. We come to God on His terms. And the only way we come to God on His terms is by receiving the garment, the wedding garment, the garment of salvation that only God has provided for us. Isaiah 61.10 I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Did you notice the the wedding picture there? He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Do you see the point there? It's not our garment, it's His. And He he gives it to us. In Jesus, He gives us that robe of righteousness. And that's the only righteousness whereby we can come into the presence of God. That's what Jesus has provided. So I want to ask you this morning, are you, are you dressed for the wedding? Are you? I don't care what you wear to church, but are you dressed for the wedding? Are you dressed for salvation, for that marriage supper of the Lamb that the book of Revelation speaks about. Are you ready for that? You've been invited. You have been invited. 
The food is ready. Jesus paid it all, right? All to Him we owe. But you need the garment of salvation. You need the robe of righteousness. And God is the only one who can provide that for you. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin on, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's our hope right there. It's Jesus, right? So don't think you can come to the wedding feast on your terms. You've got to come on God's terms. And God is very clear that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man, no person can come to the Father but through Him. Ready for the wedding? You're invited. All things are ready. Come. Come to Jesus. Put on that robe of righteousness that He has provided for you. And you will feast. You will feast. Don't tell Wayne Flown, but it'll be better than Wayne's uh, brisket and ribs. <laughs> the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for that invitation. And as we come to your table this morning, we, we come <laughs> a picture of what is ours in the future, that marriage supper of the Lamb, as we see what, what the Lamb has done for us, the price He paid for us. And we feast, Lord, on your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy uh, by faith in you. And so, Lord, thank you for that invitation. I pray that all who hear my voice today, hear this message, would say, Lord Jesus, thank you. I come to you. I receive that gift of salvation, that robe of righteousness that is found only in you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.